Hey there, everybody. You know, everyone always wants to know about the behind-the-scenes action on my TV show. Well, in this scintillating episode, the Wizard of Oz himself, a.k.a. Michael Gelman, pulls back the curtain on live and gives an all-access look at our show and his career. This is a good one. I actually, I, you know, as much as I like to harsh on this episode, it's it's a really, really good episode. I hope you enjoy. Season two is coming soon. They said, hey, what about if we shot you out of the cabinet? <laughs> and so I meet the guy who's going to teach me, and he's in a wheelchair. Oh, I mean, immediately, that's like a harbinger of doom. <laughs> somebody going to cue me, or do I cue myself? Cue yourself. Okay. All right. Welcome, everybody. It's another episode of Let's Talk Off Camera. So let's get talking. Guys, Jan, Albert, this is going to be a barn burner today. I don't want to brag. I don't want to brag, but this get was pretty ungettable. <laughs> I don't mind telling you. We've had more no-fly zone talks to prep for this episode than all the celebrities combined. There's literally 97 things we cannot talk about. But we will. How we'll... did you two secure this booking? Oh, listen. It was, I, I let Jan work her magic. I'm just here as a figurehead. Today's episode is going to be a fan favorite for anybody who is familiar with me from my other job. You know, the money job. If you're a producer of another talk show, stop what you're doing right now. And listen to this episode because you're going to get the juice. You're going to get the meat patties. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to get the whole thing because Michael Gelman is joining us today. Wow. Now, I don't want to scare him yet. I don't want to bring him on yet. I want you two to give me your backstory. Jan, as the elder, you've worked with Gelman the longest. You are what I would call the designated survivor in the bunch. And it's funny. I'm still not one of the longest. People have been there for 40 years. I've been there for 26 years. Only 26? Only 26. I started as I was a kid. I came in there and I said, please hire me. And he's like, I don't know. What did know. he say? Give me the spiel. Give the me spiel the Gelman like, with power spiel. Actually, let's just get real. What happened was I was at Maury Povich show. Okay. Um, and I was like, I need a way to get out of this. <laughs> no, guys. No. That's a big no. And I was like, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of here. I want to go work for Regis and Kathy Lee at the time. You were tired of administering paternity tests? <laughs> That's exactly what I was doing. Right. I'm not even kidding okay. you. No, and I getting believe... fake teeth for people so they looked presentable on the air. Oh my gosh. Is that an option? That is an yeah. option. You know what? Remind me to talk to you HR because <laughs> I would like that worked into my contract. And so I was like, I need someone who knows him. I need someone who knows him. And I met this guy, Brett Segan, who was the brother of someone Gelman used to date. Every day I was at Brett's desk being like, get me in front of him, get me in front of him. And he did. And I met with Michael and Michael's like, you're a kid. Like I was legit a kid. I left college early to right. start working. And he's like, I don't know. I only have producers. I don't have APs. I'm like, call me whatever you want. Just get me in here. And he gave me, I think it started with like a three month job. And whenever that three months would come up, I would just show up the next day. Like I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even allow him to have a conversation with me. And it turned into 26 wow. years. Yes. That's wow. amazing. I mean, and that deserves. And Albert, I will say he's yes. an incredible boss. Yes. Incredible. Yes. And, and I'd like a raise. Jen, I want to have a talk with you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> 
Wait, before you pipe in, I just want to hear Albert's story. Albert, you know, Albert didn't have the stones to tough it out with us. My interview with Gelman, I got there and was greeted by Christine Composto, who took me to the fifth floor conference room. So she was his then assistant. Yes, then assistant. And as we're walking, she said, oh, I was in Fire Island this weekend. Where were you? I said, I love Fire Island. We had a whole thing about Fire Island. She takes me in. She brings Michael in. I have this 20-minute interview with Michael, who looks at my resume and says, well, I don't really see how this makes sense, but let's try it out for three weeks. And so three weeks, not three yeah, months. three weeks. Wow, you were on a really tight he goes time back thing. to the office christine says he's really great i like that guy he goes to fire island and michael looks at her and says not the part of fire island you go to <laughs> <laughs> i deny ever saying that <laughs> well let's bring him in because he's chomping at the bit i just want to say that I've been there a really long time as well. Not as long as you, Jan. It's only been 23 years for me. You're kids, just kids, <laughs> interns. <laughs> but I can easily say that our success as a show, as a show that has transitioned many times before me and since I've been there, the one glue holding us all together would be our guest, Michael Gauman. Let's hear it, executive producer of Live. Or as I like to call it, live. <laughs> Tell me, you were there before it became live. Is that right? Right. So I was there as an intern before Regis was there. So you predate Regis. Predate Regis. So I grew up watching the local morning talk show on Channel 7, WABC. And there was this guy, Stanley Siegel, and they kept changing the hosts all the time. There's some really interesting people, but it never got a rating. Mm. So I end up being an intern from the University of Colorado, came back, lived with my folks, took the railroad in and, you know, did everything an intern would do, except it was a local show. So they were so short staffed that basically a month into the internship, I was coming up with ideas and producing segments. And the executive producer really liked me, and uh, but she's pregnant, like majorly pregnant. And she's like, look, um, I'd love to hire you, but I'm leaving to have my baby and I'm not coming back. Oh and, my gosh. Uh, but about six months later, I ended up getting called by some of the other producers on the show who liked my work and they brought me in the same deal. Oh, you can come in for a week as a freelance PA. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that week led to two, led to three. And uh, so yes. that's where and you so honed your hiring skills, exactly. your hiring diplomacy. Exactly. And at that point, I came in as a PA, but the next thing you know, I was producing segments, even with the PA title. Then we had a, a title in those days called Segment Producer. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also used to fill in for the producer at the time, the local producer who was kind of a screaming, crazy maniac that wouldn't <laughs> exist in today's world of yeah, HR. Yeah, no, I know, I know about this person. <laughs> yes. As much as I didn't like his style, I just kept my head down, did my job, and became kind of his right hand. And when he started going on vacations, he would pick someone to fill in. And, you know, you have to have the right temperament. You can't be too passive and you also can't be too aggressive. And you're managing your peers at the time. So like someone else did it and everyone hated them because they were like really being rude and bossing them around. And I came in and I, I hit the right tones and 
you know, the host liked me. You're the and, right, you're the right a combination of passive and aggressive. Exactly. Like <laughs> they felt I was getting the job done without pissing everyone off. Right. And so, uh, so I started being kind of the filling guy. And then at the time I was dating someone, I was a assistant and I was dating another like assistant secretly. Oh, 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 oh. well, and you know. And one day this uh, producer ended up having a fit and getting into this crazy screaming match. My uh, girlfriend was in tears and he was just berating her uh, in front of like the audience. And she ran out and she was the PA holding the cards at this time. And I used to do it, so I knew what to do. I took the cards and, you know, it was like a minute to air. So he starts saying, hey, could you believe that she did this? And I'm like, stop, don't talk to me about this. He, and he kept going. I'm like, stop, let's just leave it alone. I'm you know, like doing the job. He starts on the set going nuts, foaming at the mouth, screaming at me as I'm sitting there like totally zen and calm. And the audience is like looking and Regis is looking and Kathy is looking and like, what's going on here? And it's a three, two, one. And I sat, you know, I got in front of the camera. He read the cards and we did this tease. And then in the break, we got, we had real words. Uh, and so I actually went and said, look, I've had enough. I'm not happy here and I'm going to move on. And I ended up getting a job for Regis. Actually had another show on Lifetime at the time. And his producer wasn't coming back. It's so interesting when I hear you say that you went into a Zen place, because I watch you do that all the time, the more frantic or the more batshit crazy things happen at our show, you become hyper calm, which um, I like to think I can really channel my energy in that way on camera. But, you know, off camera, I am absolutely like the calmer you get the more i lose my shit and i'm like you have to lose your shit right now you can't be calm so you've always had that thing yeah the problem is once you lose it in work or in life in relationships there's nowhere else to go do you know what i'm saying so my staff knows that i'm very calm and i really don't lose it but if someone pushes me to the point where i do then you know once a decade I will. Sweetie, I've seen people push you to the brink and I've not watched you crack. You have not cracked where I'm like, I'm like, hold on, let me get a shovel and a body bag because Gelman's going to murder someone. And there you are just deep breathing. Yeah. But you also have to, you try to put it in perspective. You know what I'm saying? Like these are entertainment emergency. Nobody dies. We're not doctors. We're not pilots. Believe me, I, I wanted to do it right. And I'm a perfectionist, but you, you have to realize too, especially, you know, at our show that sometimes the mistakes, the imperfections give it that character and are way more fun than everything going perfectly. And oftentimes we'll produce in things that probably will go wrong because that's what's kind of fun and realistic feeling. Well, you know, you said that nobody's life is at stake. It's not life or death. But I think I feel like your life has been in jeopardy many times on this show. <laughs> I, I, can, I can I can attest that mine has also been in jeopardy. But I want to go back to the before me, because that's what I find really fascinating. Before there were cell phone cameras and evidence <laughs> everywhere and people could really like document things. I feel like the show 
had a real danger element to it. Like, were, were you or were you not, confirm or deny, fired out of a cannon? Yes, I, I was shot out of a cannon, like the circus stunt. Uh, that is a very rare stunt that very few <laughs> civilians do, but I, I actually did it. I, I mean, I am an adrenaline junkie, whether it's skiing at 60 miles an hour or uh, trapezing. I like that thrill. And, and in my opinion, and I think statistically I'm backed up, most of them are not really dangerous, just like roller coasters. How many people really die on roller coasters? Very few. But it feels that thrill that you get, like, I'm going to die. You know, so a lot of these stunts, I'm down for it. You know, Regis was not that guy. He grew up in the Bronx. He wasn't like a mountain climber, skier, motorcycle rider. He was like a city guy. So the bit was that, you know, we would ask him to do things and he was kind of game to a point. But then he this bit developed where it'd be like at the last minute, like, you know something, I'm way too important, you know, to do that. <laughs> you do it. <laughs> and so that became like an ongoing thing. So we knew when we were pitching him these ideas that the bottom line was in the end, he was going to not do it. So the uh, canon was a real crazy one because... That was a stunt I wasn't that familiar with. And, you know, we used to have this one, like, smaller circus come on. So they said, hey, what about if we shot you out of the cannon? I'm like, oh, well, that's pretty exciting. I've never seen that really done before other than at the circus. And so they said, look, you got to practice. So I went to Brooklyn and they have this cannon there. I drive out and I meet the guy who's going to teach me and he's in a wheelchair and I'm like I mean immediately that uh, that's I, I like mean, a harbinger of doom yes I'm just like huh well, I wonder why and how right so he's mm -hmm. like don't worry I just have to explain um yes this injury was related to the stunt but the basic story was, he said, you know, we travel around the country and there are all these statistics and we keep this book on the angle and the humidity and the wind. And so we, we set everything up exactly. But then just to make sure we have this like kind of a beanbag dummy, that was ex his exact weight that okay. they would shoot out of the cannon at those exact settings based on their calculations. And I then wish they you could put... see Albert is crying right now. He's <laughs> okay. in tears. He's in tears. Keep going. <laughs> they would put the airbag in that spot. So he says, so that day they didn't realize it, but as they're traveling around the country with the mannequin in the trunk, the trunk leaked and oh. it soaked up some water. I guess there was like maybe sand or something that was absorbent. And so that changed the weight and they put it in and it landed and they put the bag and then that's not where he landed. Okay. So I hear this story and I'm like, you know, I didn't want, at that point I almost was like, you know, maybe this is dangerous, which I found yeah. out later. This is dangerous. Is dangerous. And like, I don't know what makes you think it's not dangerous. It, everything about it from the word fire out of a cannon <laughs> sounds dangerous. Even the circus performers that do it, they don't seem like they're particularly enjoying it. You know what I mean? It's the one like joyless thing. They come out and they go, right. oh, but you know, they look like rattled, you know. Well, they should be because what I found out during practice was that every time you even practice this stunt, 
it's like getting hit by a car. You have to get down the, you know, the shaft and then you have to, they're like, okay, now tighten up your legs, lock your knees, tighten your butt muscles, lock your knees, your abs. Yeah, okay. like basically become like a human arrow and then tighten your neck, tighten your whole body. And then they go three, two, one, you get propelled out at like <laughs> right. huge impact. And then you put your hands up. Once you come out. Once you come out and they go, don't do that too early because you can have your arms ripped off. Yeah, you'll have your arms ripped off. <laughs> That's what I was just thinking. I was like, like you have to, you have like a nanosecond to conceptualize when, the, what happens if you don't put your arms up? Nothing. You, I mean, then you could hit your head. I don't know. I think it's really more of a stylistic thing with the arms. So they wanted me to keep practicing. And I said, you know something? After the second time, I'm like, every single time I'm endangering myself and, and getting hit by a car, I'm done practicing. I'm ready. So just so, the two rehearsals then. Yeah, you, these people the that, they're like The people that do it for years and years and years. But you were like, I got it. <laughs> I got it. It was like as dangerous practicing as it was doing it. So I'm like, I don't want to do this too many times. I'm like upping the odds of injury. So we get out there and I think they may have started to get cold feet about me hurting myself. The television show or the No, I think the circus, circus performers. People. The circus okay. people. So they had the uh the airbag closer than it was like in rehearsal. And okay. they, I think they lowered the amount of the pressure that was going to be, you know, propelling me out. But the worst part was the director took the shot from straight ahead, which is not the shot to take because basically with all this danger and all this preparation, it looked like I like plopped out of the cannon on, <laughs> on live TV <laughs> and it was humiliating. <laughs> it looked like... You know, that it's like I sputtered out of this yep. cannon. Just a little sputter. Smoke. But now the funniest part too is that I had custom made a one piece like superhero jumpsuit out of Lycra. And of course, just for just for fun, I had Regis and Kathy Lee, this huge label sewed onto the rear end. So the whole bit was very funny, but it was totally ridiculous. And, and I lived to tell about it. I'm glad that you live to tell about it. Me too. You know, I'm thinking back to some of like the crazy stunts that we've had. We've had like stunts that we've done that are just like part of the show. I, I'm recalling that wall walk we did in Vegas during one of the Cirque du Soleil's. I remember the time, was it Josh Groban, where I thought Science Bob had killed us both because it was a <laughs> massive explosion. Oh, and it was really just sound and a lot of smoke. But I right. was convinced that Josh Groban was killed in the process. <laughs> um, but do you, Jan, Jan reminded me about this, um, the man who put on the most T-shirts. Yes. Do you remember so, that? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, we, we had uh, one of the earliest appearances in the States, maybe even the first one from this guy, Wim Hof who now has become this huge, you know, I the, guy. I have the picture of us together, of him sitting yeah. in the ice. Yeah, I have it. We built that huge plexiglass tank, filled it with thousands of gallons of ice, and he was submerged for like, I think it was 17 minutes, whatever. He broke a world record. I mean, the fact that he was in ice and the fact that he was not breathing was pretty incredible. Um, but yeah, that things like that seemed dangerous but the one that really scared us in the end was one that 
who would have ever thought had any danger to it was we had a radio DJ and I guess he had done this before. We're going to break a record for the most t-shirts put on at the same time. So he starts putting them on and we're live on air. We'd practice it and he had, I think he had the old record and I guess the t-shirts like were inhibiting him being able to breathe, mm-hmm. you know, and the weight, all the of a sudden I'm seeing he's putting them on and they're help, he has helpers and I, I'm seeing this like distress and we're on, again, we're on live TV. So like, even though the camera was on and like, I didn't want to like ruin the TV moment. It seemed like there was real something happening there. I jump in, I like pull on his t-shirt by the neck and start pulling it, trying to give him room to breathe. And I took these scissors and I start cutting like on on the air. And I think we went to break. He ended up being fine, but it was one of those moments where I was actually afraid because it's like, again, this is fun and games and we don't do anything that's, I consider real danger, uh, but this like became scary live on television. So I was trying to tell this story. I was at a dinner party and they were like, oh, what happens when something goes wrong? What happens when something goofy happens? And I go, well, the really goofy things really happened before I got there because the show used to be a much more like a wild, wild west sort of like free for all, much less networky, much more local. And I was trying to retell the story, but I did a terrible job retelling it. And so I'm hoping you will tell our listeners about Zsa Zsa Gabor Gate on live. So I'm hoping you will tell our listeners about Zsa Zsa Gabor Gate on live. I'm hoping and, me, I don't and praying because oh, it's a barn burner. It's my favorite. It. It's my favorite story ever. Yeah, it was uh, a pretty crazy time. Um, you know, <laughs> Zsa Zsa had uh, been on a couple of times before and Regis really liked her as a guest. She was a character. She was kind of a a Kardashian of her time. And so we'd had a couple of situations where there were some strong negotiations about, you know, what we would provide, which usually is a car Nothing. from your hotel. <laughs> no, we a car from your hotel to the studio and a car from the studio back to your hotel. And sometimes when it was someone important, we would pay for a couple of nights in the hotel, room and tax only. And, you know, you have to put your card down and- For incidentals. Yeah. You know, she would come on and these things were all agreed to. And, but then she would check into the hotel and say, oh, I don't have my credit card. And they'd let her in anyway, because she was Jaja. And then they'd call us and say, oh, you know, she had a dinner party or whatever in the suite. And now we want you to pay for it. And we're like, guys, we told you that's it. Right. And then the same thing happened with the car. Like all of a sudden, you know, they took this limousine and, you know, we get this huge bill that was half my month's, you know, transportation bill because (laughs) she like took the car and kept it all day. And so this time we were very specific. The car only from this to this, the hotel, you must check in with the card. And oh, and we also provide makeup and hair while they're at the show. Right. So she comes and uh, she goes in and I wasn't exactly there, but Claudia Cohen, who is our entertainment reporter for many years, was getting her makeup there because she was also on the same show. Right. Um, 
but there's plenty of time for her to get her makeup in Jaja. But Jaja stuck her head in and thought she should get her makeup immediately. And Even though she wasn't going on until after Claudia Cohen. Well, after, definitely after the host chat, which we have right. plenty, plenty of time. You know? Right. So they, they have words. And uh, <laughs> next thing you know, we're doing, as you know, the billboard where you say, coming up on the show today, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then Regis is reading against, and Jaja Kabor. Well, Jaja stumbles out onto stage. <laughs> oh, no. As if no. he was introduced. No. And so I think there was... Uh, some impairment there, I should say. <laughs> okay. I didn't do any testing, but there seemed to be some impairment. From and the video I saw, there was impairment. Yes. Yeah, so stumbles out and like ranting and raving and angry. And in those days, it was pre-seven second delay mm -hmm. and cursing, saying that blah, 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 you know. Claudia Cohen and you know and she's but she's got the funny accent so at first you're not sure what she's saying she's on the it was air. off the rails on the air, and on the air. so I'm not like commercial break you know what do you do when things happen like that is go to commercial go to commercial <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to the stage man commercial commercial you know but Regis is trying to be like gentlemanly and like she's old Hollywood he's like no no Jaja calm down come over here because yeah, she's uh, like wandering around, right? Yes, she's wandering. Exactly. He's trying to de-escalate it and and he doesn't want to have bad blood with anyone. So, you know, I was ticked off. I mean, yeah. that, it's just rude. We've also now had curses on TV, which are right. against, you know, FCC regulations. There's a right. lot of things that are wrong with it. So he calms her down and she stays. And then she actually stays for like another segment, which is also off the rails, but he calmed things down. Yeah. So the next uh, thing that happens is she takes off. Now, again, the car was just supposed to take her either directly <laughs> to the airport or the hotel. And I get a call from the car company is, oh, Jaja's stopped at the 21 Club <laughs> for lunch. So the driver says, uh, what should I do? I said, well, drive away. She goes, I can't. She's got all her luggage in the car. So I said, take the luggage, give it to the, you know, doorman and drive away. So I guess he starts doing that. And Jaja comes out and starts ranting uh, in a way that, again, seemed impaired, including allegedly saying, uh, some anti-Semitic things <gasps> and, uh, and just just very toxic. And then I believe also that the driver was saying that, you know, you know how they have that uh, liquor in the back of the... Yes. The in the car. So the complimentary I I, booze that I always thought assumed was a prop. Yes. Yes. I've always <laughs> been afraid to take yes. a sip. <laughs> yes, exactly. Who drinks that? It's right. just a prop. So, uh, yeah. So it made... It made big headlines. And that was actually the last time we had her on. <laughs> At what point on the show did you go from being an executive producer to a character on the show? You know, it was very slow. Um, here's what <laughs> happened. So Regis always kind of broke through that wall of reality where he'd, you know, either he talked to uh, the people off camera, usually to blame things for going wrong, you know, right. because when you're <laughs> yes. on live TV, a lot of things go wrong. So Regis would acknowledge it to whoever his producer, the cameraman, like, come on, keep me in focus or, you know, and it, was, <laughs> right, it right. was a very entertaining. It was kind of the first, I'd say, like 
reality-ish TV. Right. And he would do that. And it was a fun device. So he did it over the years on a lot of his shows. But when it came to me, it just went on. I never left. He's talking to me day after day, year after year. And so it just kind of built. So what was, I, I mean, people think you know, that's my job. And sometimes even in our own TV station where I've worked for 40 years, people will see me at like six o'clock, like leaving and be like, oh my God, I can't believe you're still here. I'm like, I've been here every day for the last 40 years. <laughs> it's I don't only a one hour job. <laughs> right? Yeah. They think I'm on camera playing the producer. One just no. playing a producer. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I'm really producing and this is a side hustle that by the way I don't get any I don't get any extra on camera appearance payments for. <laughs> it's not like, hey, put me on camera. Oh, five hundred bucks. Yes. But but don't you find that all the executive producers of talk shows now worm their way onto camera because they all think that they're the next Galman? You know, it did become kind of a thing where other shows have tried to emulate that. I mean, you know this too, Kelly, is like the things that we do get picked up as part of, you know, kind of the language of of modern TV. Uh, You know, someone steals it, someone else steals it, they modify it. I mean, as we all know, there are no new ideas and we didn't invent television, live television, live television talk. I realize it. But it, it, there is a lot of uh, programming that goes on that like we do something and all of a sudden that becomes a thing. And, oh, yeah. and, and I love when we get we get accused of ripping off somebody else's show. And I'm like, pardon me, we've been doing this for about 15 years <laughs> right. before that show existed. <laughs> and, you know, what's funny, too, is like I specifically don't watch other shows. Like when new talk shows come on, maybe I'll watch one day just to like know what my competition is. I feel like but we're too I don't busy. Watch. We're too busy working. Yeah, that's part of it. But also I don't want to be swayed. Like I don't want to be like, oh wow, that's kind of a cool way that they do this contest. And then I steal it. I, I want us to be original. And when sometimes like we used to do these weddings on the show. Oh, I know. I, so we started and it became this huge thing. And mm-hmm. and then we would do one, then we would do two, then we would do a week and it became bigger and bigger. But then every other show started doing the weddings. Yeah. And at some point I'm just like, look, let them have it. And then we moved on to some other things. Same with our Halloween show. That's oh, like a big, yeah. like, you know, now I'm like every yes. show rips off our Halloween Yeah, but you show. guys own Halloween. We own Halloween, but you it's do. like, it's been like so oversaturated. We didn't invent Halloween. We didn't invent people dressing up in costume on television. But But we did invent Gelman dressing as Britney Spears holding a giant (laughs) python. That was that we did invent. No one's been able to equal that. Like you were wearing a boa constrictor. Right. I mean, (laughs) that was a real 120 pound albino. I remember. Is that where the Saturday Night Live parody came from? I always liken the Saturday Night Live parody of Chris Kattan playing you to you dressing up as Britney Spears. Yeah, I mean, SNL started doing takeoffs on our show, and I was very honored. And there was plenty to make fun of. I always thought it was a a real compliment. And, you know, I like comedy, and I don't mind. Yeah, we don't have thin skins. Right, exactly. And they would always, though, portray me, not in the way I would have loved to have been portrayed. First of (laughs) all, I always had, like, half the time I had a clipboard and a headset. I'm like, I've never had a clipboard or a headset. (laughs) 
know. But that's how they know it there at NBC. They're big on clipboards. Everybody's got a clipboard. Yeah, that's what producer, that says producer. Mm -hmm. But then because of our Halloween dressing up, where sometimes we would dress, uh, you know, like female characters, all of a sudden I was being portrayed as this effeminate, closeted, you know, (laughs) straight guy. I mean, that's it. You know, so I'd be wearing a boa and then, you know, my character would be exclaiming like, oh, Lori, you know, to my wife, you go home, I'm going clubbing or, you know, or I'd be wearing a sombrero or, you know, whatever it was. But I still thought it was very funny. And and I was portrayed, I think, by six or seven people including, uh, I was just looking back at it, David Spade and some other very talented uh, comics. And and then when you took over the same thing, and then finally they asked you to be uh, the host that time. Do you remember that? Yes. That took years off of my life because don't forget, I was shooting the sitcom back then and I had Joaquin was a baby, maybe six months old. There was the morning show every day. Those hours are the opposite hours. But you guys were like really enthusiastic about it. So I feel like it like. Well, it's a big deal. I mean, it's a part of American culture and pop culture that like you really made it in, you know, in in entertainment and comedy that I thought it was great. And you did a great job. But we came to support, you (laughs) know, you guys all came. I couldn't believe it. And. I'm walking through a hallway and then I see Chris Kattan, who we had on the show. Yeah, right. So I see him and he sees me and he like runs in the other direction. (laughs) I'm walking through a hallway and then I see Chris Kattan and he sees me and he like runs in the other direction. Like he thought I'd be so mad for his portrayal of me that I'd like come they're always after so him. Af- they're always afraid that they've offended. I guess they probably deal with two kinds of people. You either think it's funny or you don't. Right. So he wasn't sure which one you were. I guess. Uh, but I thought I thought that was really funny. I'm like, oh, my God, Chris Kattan just ran away from me. You know? I'm trying to paint a picture for people that don't watch our talk show. Um, anybody that's like a listener that doesn't know me from the talk show, although I can't imagine there are many, (laughs) but people always say, oh, their workplace is like a family, but ours actually really truly is like a family. Can you sort of explain how it works and why we haven't fizzled out the way so many other shows have? Well, I mean, I I always describe the show kind of as a Faux husband and wife, uh, which is funny because now we've graduated to a real husband. Yes, we've graduated. Yes, right. Uh, You know, we're getting real, real now. So it was always kind of a kind of a faux husband and wife who are you know better looking and funnier than the normal husband and wife. So they're a little aspirational, (laughs) but they're also they're very real and they're getting together for their morning coffee. And then their friends are coming by and their friends happen to be celebrities. And we're just having kind of fun together and having this little little party at home. And so it, that's, it really is about family. And we've tried to keep it that way, uh, you know, kind of keeping to our local feel where this is a smaller show that, you know, we're talking one-on-one about things people care about. 
And then, of course, we get to whatever their plug is. But uh, that concept has has worked. And we're also we're doing things, whatever people are talking about, we're doing. If it's, you know, crazy stunts or if it's in the news, like we're at least dealing with it. We're not dealing with real news, obviously. Well, when this show started, I mean, if you think about most movie stars, TV stars, uh, you know, no one knew anything about them other than this very superficial facade. You know, like even people now, you don't know about their mothers, their fathers, their kids, like most TV hosts. I mean, that's a whole different thing. With us, because it was daytime and it was very family oriented. I mean, we've kept it so that people can see that. And and in today's world, with all the different digital platforms now, it's become way more normal that you're seeing people out of like this studio facade. But yet somehow they still come back to us, like the audience has never... Yes. Well, you know, we've developed an audience that now has this history. So, you know, they know right. you, your kids from before they were born. They... they say to me all the time, oh, yeah, I remember when you were dating Lori. Oh, mm-hmm. I remember your honeymoon video. And uh, we all remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it's on OnlyFans, listeners. OnlyFans. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I think now it's we do have that home court advantage because now with all the different platforms, television is changing so that it's very hard to gain an audience because there's so much great programming out there. There's so many distractions between all the streaming channels and the cable channels and the digital platforms that people get lost in the shuffle. You know, exactly. But with us, they know us. And, and that really is something that we're established. And so that's very hard to come to this level in this new media reality. What is your piece of advice for someone who wants to get into the the biz, the television business? Because I've been hearing since I started at All My Children that television was dead. And, you know, here I am 30 years later <laughs> still earning a living in television. And it seems like right. there's more and more TV. Yeah, I mean, it's that's a little extreme and it's not dead. I mean, just like people were saying, oh, radio's dead. I mean, radio is, is radio. radio. And, you know, so it, it's not dead. I mean, I would say to, to people that you have to think in the future, not the past. So like a show like ours, you know, in 10 or 15 years or even now, I mean, they're not going to be that many new hit daytime TV shows, in my opinion, because they're too hard to establish. They're too expensive. But there are going to be like, hey, great podcasts and and shows on YouTube and Facebook. And, you know, it's not going to be as traditional. So you you can't be thinking old school. I mean, even just streaming you're going to have streaming, but it's going to be different than it is now. Everything doesn't have to be a half hour, an hour. You know, right. they could be little five minute pieces. You could go two hours. I mean, there's there's so many ways to create programming. But if you really focus on writing and storytelling and put yourself out there, I, I think you're going to be able to work your way through what the new realities are. Just just look look forward. Don't look back is what I would say. Albert, did you write all that down <laughs> for when you want to start your career in That's television? Right. Before we let you go, I just want to talk about uh, these two people, TJ Holmes and Amy <laughs> Robach, really quick. Okay. okay. 
That was like a huge scandal for ABC. Are you worried that your two hosts now might be caught in some way? You guys aren't having sex, are you? I I told Mark for the duration of our time on the show, we should absolutely not have any form of because we can't be having that. Mark just quit the show. We're not trifling around on the news division. We're the entertainment side. We're the place yes, where you it's could maybe way looser. Maybe you could, you know, maybe you could bang your co-host. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. Um, you know, I just want to say, in in seriousness, I always say that if Michael wanted to, if Michael wanted to, if he wasn't so loyal and devoted to us, he could have easily run a network and been the head of a studio many times over, many, many times. And I don't want to make you rueful for what could have been or should have been. <laughs> I'm just paying tribute to you and saying thank I you. I appreciate it. And sometimes I do have regrets. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? I'm like, wow, that's a really crappy resume. <laughs> but well, at the same when time. She, when she says it like that, she's right. <laughs> no, but at the same time, truthfully, when I see what these execs do, it is not fun. You know, I love no, being not. kind of in the trenches, making the TV happen, as opposed to someone who's like in an office wishing they were doing what we're doing and yeah. telling them what to do and, and playing the politics and having all the aggravation. Uh, so I, I'm glad that I'm still doing what I'm doing and uh, and I'm looking forward to Many years of you, Mark, and I together. <laughs> <laughs> the world's weirdest thruple. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it, Michael. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank Take you, care. Michael. Get All back right. to the Bye-bye, tennis guys. courts. Yes, that's right. I'm going right now, actually. Good. I, was, I okay. appreciate it. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye, Michael. Very proud of him. Did you feel like a mother hen like I did? You know, that place is a really, I mean, not to get like emotional or anything, but like that place is a really special place to work. It's like a real family. We've all been together for so long. Yeah. And so like, yeah, I felt like a little mother hen listening to him talk. It's like all my memories, you know, it's my whole, my whole life has been there. Yeah. It's crazy. But it really is like a very special place. It is. Very, very special. I always say the people there are laugh and fight like siblings. Everybody behaves like siblings and family members. There's no, you can scream at someone and then a minute later you're, you know, going out to get lunch with them. Like it's a, it's not like, it's unlike any other place. It's like any other place we'd all be fired. Yeah. (laughs) And like it it does stem from the top. So like Mm -hmm. you got to give him all the props because we are, we've been through so much together. I mean, people in that place have just, have just been through some really great moments and some really bad ones. And he's remained the captain of that ship. He's very steady. Yeah. Very, very steady. I wish he would get a little more worked up once in a while. Like, (laughs) we've, it's like, this is not, not a, it's not a problem I'm ever going to solve. It's like there are Zen people and then there are people like me. Like, I'm like a Tasmanian devil. And still producing, Michael texts me, you can tighten up any of my long windedness. (laughs) Okay, Michael. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're a new podcast. So follow us. And if you're not sure how to uh, do that, all you have to do is hit the little button on the top right corner of your iPhone. And if you like us, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, but make sure you give us a good uh, five-star review. (laughs) Even if you feel indifferent. Let's Talk Off Camera is available every week on all major podcast listening platforms. Can't wait to talk off camera next week. Bye.
Let's Talk Off Camera with Kelly Ripa is a co-production of Melojo Productions and PRX Productions with help from Goat Rodeo. Our theme song is Follow Me from APM Music. From Melojo, our team is Kelly Ripa, Mark Consuelos, Albert Bianchini, Jan Chalet, Devin Schneider, Michael Halpern, Jacob Small, Roz Therian, Seth Gronquist, and Julia Desch. From PRX Productions, our team is Kara Schillen, Genevieve Sponsler, Megan Nidolsky, Isabel Kirby McGowan, Edwin Ochoa. Additional sound design by Terrence Bernardo. The executive producer of PRX Productions is Jocelyn Gonzalez. This show is powered by Stitcher. Stitcher.